Welcome to Works Cited, a podcast about poems. I'm Kevin, calling to you from Boston, and I'm joined by two Lukes. Uh, the first is Luke Bauerlein. Luke, how are you doing? Good. How's it going, Kevin? Not too bad. And uh, where are you calling from? Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. All right. And uh, and like I promised, uh, I promised you two Lukes. The second one, Mr. Stromberg. How you doing, Luke? Good. All right. Um, so I thought we'd get started, um, you know, kind of just talking about uh, some music we've been listening to lately. I, well, I, I guess I had it on top of mind um, when we were talking earlier. There's this uh, band called Slow Dive. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I like I discovered them last year. That, they're cool. Yeah, they're really oh, I don't cool. Know them. They're an older band, too. I mean, you know, they were, I think they released uh, stuff in like the early 90s. Um, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. Think, yeah, they were like on hiatus for a long time, and now they have a self-titled album that is just great it's um i guess the genre is shoegaze or something like that oh okay yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so it's like really just uh really chill music um all right you know put it on and do data entry at my job uh, <laughs> <laughs> you guys uh listening nice. to anything fun well um i you know i've been i don't know about like new stuff i i've been listening to a lot of neil young lately because oh yeah I got tickets to see my brother and I got tickets to see uh, this Sunday actually coming up this weekend coming up he's playing at the Tower Theater which is down the street from me that's right and, uh, nice. it's, it's just going nice. to be Neil Young and his acoustic guitar you know intimate performance so I've been pretty psyched about that I've been listening to a lot of Neil Young yeah you had to rub it in yeah yeah, yeah. Welcome to Upper Darby, Neil. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And so, what are you jamming to in uh, Phoenixville, uh, Mr. Barrowline? Um, nothing, nothing that that new. Um, I have this, uh, like, from like a couple years ago when I was, um, I was reading one of those. I think it was. I think it was a, a book on Elvis. Um, and sort of like great albums that came out of out of um, early rock and roll. And from that, I kind of um, made this mix that I've just been like kind of adding to recently. That just has like um, one album from like a bunch of different artists that are that are sort of making um, music in in that kind of southern gospel rock funk oh. area that was really productive wow. in like you know the late '60s, early '70s. So there's like some Delaney and Bonnie and Sly and the Family Stone oh. and. The bands oh, rock cool. of very ages and the Almond Brothers and stuff and just like you know what I mean like a lot of artists uh, I put some Link Ray on there that just just to sort of like um, you know swim in in those like uh, in those waters for a little bit. Is and this it, it's all, it's all mix? It is. It is. Yeah. I just oh, called I it get, together. I will share I, it with you. <laughs> I gotta follow that. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Yeah. For for those listening, uh, if you don't know already, uh, Mr. Stromberg is a, a prolific <laughs> uh, playlist uh, compiler. Oh yes. On oh, Spotify. Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think you could, you know, if, if you f- like following Luke Stromberg on Spotify automatically gets you like a degree in, in popular music. <laughs> he's, really, he's really, he's really a curator. Yeah. He's a curator. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, probably the only time I'll hear that term outside of a museum context and agree with you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, that he is, he's a curator. The poet that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, I think has more entertainment value in his poems than, uh, I don't know, pick your hyperbole, pick your comparison. Um, I, I really think that, and, and I might not be right about this, I might be exaggerating, um, but I, I really think that a lot of his poems uh, are like little films, little movies, and, and oh, not exactly. just, yeah, and I'm not talking like, you know, um, you know, experimental art film stuff. I'm talking like interesting, entertaining movies and yet also you know thoughtful and uh, you know intellectual and you name it i mean they're, they're just he he creates entire worlds in, in the space of like three pages it's it's amazing what he does um the poem that we're going to discuss is just you know a sample of uh of what he can do um and uh yeah he's, he's one of my favorite poets um and i am absolutely thrilled to be talking about him tonight the poem that we're going to be reading is The Drop, and it is by Michael Donahue. And uh, I'll read the poem tonight. <clears throat> the Drop. We taped it under the seats, 
packed it into the door panels, drove it over the mountains in July, and the other two hadn't a word of the language, not a word, not help, not food, and always that fear of the sirens and lights, until, at the end, we drove all night screaming our throats raw over the radio to keep awake. Words we didn't understand. Mi corazón, every other word, mi corazón. Then, an hour to dawn the day of the drop, we drove down through Cavaria. Just hours to go, but we turned off the road near a fairground to Dodgem's carousel, all boarded up, spent fires, an old starving bitch limping loose through the trailers, to nothing. We got out to piss, then waited for dawn in the car. After days on the road, we were talked out, hoarse, but this was different. I remember, I think I remember, paint peeling on the hoardings, the sun floating up, red through the dust and mesquite smoke. Crows. The place seemed emptied even of ourselves. And then we drove on to the drop. I'd forgotten, and you never asked. But it all came back last night. Trouble outside. A speeding siren woke me, tuning down a fifth. And I realized I'd been dreaming of that morning. The three of us sitting in the car, and somehow I was standing outside, too, watching us. I couldn't speak because I'd used up all the words. But it was the words had used me up, and left me blackbirds, a white dog, and corazon. But this was years ago. Years. Before I met you. The money? It went where money goes. So, um, um, yeah, <clears throat> yeah uh, I, you know, one of the first things that comes to mind, uh, you know, this is a poem. Well, what is this poem about? What, what, what's, what are these, uh, these guys doing on the road? It's a drug deal. They're, uh, exactly. they're bringing drugs down, right? Yeah. 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 It's, it's, there's some kind I of got smuggling, the, right? Yeah. They're smuggling drugs into the country from Mexico. It sounds like. Yeah, or um, down to Mexico. Yeah, or down yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose that it could be, but you know, I I can't see anybody taking drugs into Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It's just it's just interesting. Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. But, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. I quite get the exact geography of exactly where they're headed, but no, it could right. be either way. And and he never says drugs. That's you know? right. Yeah, right. We, correct. It, it says we taped it under the seats. And from the fact that they're they're hiding it under the seats and the door panels, and the the, the fact that they, um, he says uh, a little later on in that first stanza, uh, and always that fear of the sirens and lights, so they're afraid of the police. It suggests that the drop is some kind of drug delivery, but we we don't get much background information. He never explicitly says it's about drugs, right? And uh, we never see the drop happen. You no, know, it, it no. Uh, it's right. it's right. yeah, it, it's a big nothing in the poem. Um, but and and the, so the first thing that comes to my mind um, is uh, a series like Breaking Bad or uh -huh. or uh, Narcos. You know uh, mm -hmm. these these sim these narratives of uh, of uh, drug production, drug smuggling. You know, just the sort of uh, the edginess of of that subject matter um, and. Uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe we can talk about how this compares, how it differs uh, from, uh, you know, popular media that that use the same subject matter. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I definitely get this the same kind of thing. Like, um, it's it, and maybe that's one of the reasons why it feels cinematic, right? It has like yeah. this uh, film noir quality. Um, I, I was reading. Um, just in preparation for talking about this this poem, I was reading some, you know, articles and essays about Donahue, and uh, one of them was uh, by David Mason, you know, a poet that we all know, um, and he he actually mentioned this poem, and he just in passing, and he said, um, 
you know, he compared it to the Coen brothers. Oh, that's I a great comparison. Interesting. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, it, it does have that cinematic quality. And, you know, I was just saying how uh, it doesn't mention explicitly like what they're dropping, so to speak, right? Well, like what mm-hmm. the, it is that they tape under the seats, right? We assume that it's drugs, but like, do we know that for sure? And, uh, you know, I was just thinking like, why? I mean, there's a lot of reasons why he wouldn't mention it explicitly, right? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's supposed to just seem like a conversation or whatever. Mm-hmm. But there's some kind of coyness about it. And um, it almost made me think of Pulp Fiction, where mm-hmm. they're after that briefcase, and yeah. they never really know what's in the briefcase. And like at, at one point, he opens it up, and there's like this glow coming out of it. Yeah. Um, and Mason's like reference to the Coen brothers, too made me think of like yeah there's a there's a literal quality to this right but it like maybe there's some kind of uh allegorical meaning or mm-hmm. like you know i don't mm-hmm. know if mm-hmm. go too far down that path but maybe there's something else suggested maybe along with the literal yes maybe they're smuggling drugs but maybe this drop is also about something else there's some kind of yeah metaphorical I- kind of dimension to it yeah um uh when i when i come to the lines uh toward the end of the poem uh the words had used me up and left me black birds a white dog and corazon it seems to me that um i mean it seems very elemental you know you have black black birds on one side carrion Uh eaters you know they're crows and you have a white dog on another you know you have black and white and then you have the corazon, not in the middle of the sentence, but, you know, somewhere among the, the two extremes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and corazon, of course, being Spanish for heart. Um, yeah. Uh, that was something I picked up after a few readings that, that, uh, mm. that really mm-hmm. got me and, and got me to thinking of what the ulterior subject of this poem might be. Yeah, and of course, they, that's a word that they, he mentions that they keep hearing on the radio as yeah. they're driving, right? It's the one kind of word that uh, um, he picks out like every other word. So there is this motif of the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I guess I was thinking that you could almost see it as a, a sort of uh, an existential journey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but like where, like, so it's about like this long trip, like through this kind of strange country, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and where do they end up? Like, where's this trip to, you know, toward, uh, well, essentially nothing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They come to this sort of wasteland, like this abandoned <laughs> fairgrounds, yeah. you know, there's like right. a. like a stray dog, I guess the white dog that he mentions at the end, just kind of wandering around loose. Right. Um, And I I just love that, um, you know, we we get this kind of desolate imagery, uh, but we turned off the road near a fairground to Dodgem's carousel, all boarded up, spent fires, an old starving bitch limping loose through the trailers to nothing. Right. And that, to nothing its own sentence that fragment there like kind of emphasizing that and that's the end of the first stanza too so it's really putting emphasis on this fact like they traveled this long way and you know this isn't apparently is not their destination right right um but as we say like he, he spends he doesn't talk about the actual drop he talks about this when they pull off the road here yeah right this little interlude yeah yeah essentially this journey to nothing like to emptiness yeah right we got out the piss then waited for dawn in the car after days on the road we were talked out horse but this was different i remember i think i remember and again it's like did this happen right or is he imagining it right yeah um this seems to be this and it's at the center the literal center of the poem as well right yeah paint Peeling on the hoardings, the sun floating up red through the dust and mesquite smoke. Crows, 
the place seemed emptied even of ourselves. Again, like this really desolate wasteland imagery. So it almost yeah. feels like this existential journey. Um, to to what end? I, I don't know. It. I couldn't help but, and I don't know if this is a reach to kind of think like, is this because it's about a drug deal or deal or smuggling drugs rather? Mm. It's about like crime, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's almost like this journey into lawlessness, like like away from God, like you know, like th is this what happens when we? detach ourselves from from God, from like traditional sort of meaning and purpose and we go into this own our own like world of where we're doing our own thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's 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 telling that he's always hearing the sun they're afraid of the sirens. Mm -hmm. Like I almost feel like the sirens are like some kind of manifestation of like Catholic guilt or something. Right. Like well that. I'm thinking of the uh, the crowing of the cock. Um, oh, yeah. and you know the uh, and and notice that they drive through Calvaria, which um, I take to be a um, uh, to mean Cal uh, Calvary. Yeah, you know, I looked that up. Um, I don't know, like I couldn't find it as I was trying to see if it was like a place in Mexico. My my uh, knowledge of the geography mm -hmm. there, is, mm -hmm. but I couldn't find any place named. Uh, Calvaria, but Calvaria without the the accent is actually the name of the top of the is the term for the top of the skull. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So there's that like kind of death imagery there. But yeah, it does. It sounds like Calvary. I, I, yeah, you know, of course. I found I found a city in Portugal. Again, oh yeah, yeah no too. idea. And I mean, it's um. It's kind of open enough, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of yeah. an interesting thing about it, that um, it's so, it's it suggests a lot, but not necessarily um, exactly where the landscape is, you know, even though yeah. it's got to make it. Um, I was just, I was just going to add, you know, you, you guys are talking about it, um, this sort of cinematic quality that has, and I immediately felt that way too about it, and um you know, Stromberg, you were saying that maybe it's it's a little bit of a coy technique, the way that uh, Donahue is sort of releasing some information, um, at, but then withholding others, and then keeping, you know, just sort of suggesting yeah. some things and only giving us uh, a little snapshots here and there. Um, it reminded me of uh, an interview I was I was watching with uh, Billy Wilder, and he was just saying that to him, the difference between the kind of movies that um, were being made when he was coming up, when he was learning, and the kind of movies he liked making. And, and the kind of stuff that's being made now, or uh, I guess in the 80s when he was, he was given the interview, is that uh, he, his, his kind of movie is one where um, he wants the audience to feel like there's, they're collaborators, right? And what's happening, yeah. he doesn't want to spell out everything. And so I, I kind of see that, um, that yeah. tech being used here, right? It's like yeah. we are active participants. We have to bridge the gaps. He's not going to tell us that it's drugs. And yeah. in fact, I mean, I, that's kind of why I'm so drawn to, to the sirens as well. And I think... You guys already brought up some really good, um, you know, su suggestions about what it, it could be um, in terms of uh, sort of a, as, as a metaphor and how, and how it's working. But at the same too, I, I'm also kind of fascinated by uh, the way these details sort of imply things about who this character is, who he might be talking to. And um, I just think, I think it's interesting that uh, the drop itself is almost like an afterthought, and yet it is, it is the sound of the sirens, right? that pulls him from sleep and causes him to kind of have this uh, memory of, of, of waking from a dream, right, that he had. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm interested in that. Almost, to me, that almost implies as if this is potentially um, another life that he's talking about. Like, maybe he's, maybe he's not reformed necessarily, but certainly it seems like he's not taking these risks, or, or especially if um, he, he forgot about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. That, that intrigues me, too, that uh, he's, he's talking with, that we sort of turn at the end towards, um, we realize like he's having a conversation with someone else yeah. in the room, at least one person in the room, and it's yeah. kind of intimate. Yeah. Um, and yet he couldn't even forget this had been sort of either suppressed or uh, wasn't, you know, was just forgotten. This, uh, this yeah. story. So, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued um, who, just about how he, how we put those things together for ourselves. Yeah. And, and who is the person that he's talking to? Yeah. 
Right. Right. You that's, you implied that there was like an intimacy there. I see that yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I see sorry. it too. Yeah. Wait, I see. But I mean, you just and uh, I mean that is the the ending lines are just such like seem like they come from a classic noir. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh sure. The last line is killer. I, I mean, yeah. and oh. it's, it's kind of like kidding the person, and you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but it also kind of gets to um, to Stromberg's point about sort of like it's this is a journey to to nowhere. Um, it's almost like it's almost like the drop. The place of the drop is where the money goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that hole yeah. that it disappears into or something. I, I don't know. I don't yeah, know. I wanted to talk about like the ambiguity of that. <laughs> I, this, the, the sweetness of that line and the ambiguity of it. The money, yeah. you know, so the money question mark. So the person he's talking to is asked about the money. Of course, I, I would ask. <laughs> you know, he, he took this risky endeavor. He's not in jail. You know, I don't think he's been in jail. So right. where, where's the money? You got away with it, right? And he's like, well... It went where money goes. And that, yeah. oh, Jesus, because that, that can mean anything. I mean, where does money go? Uh, you know, I mean, for me, yeah. it, it goes to, um, you know, the bakery close to my office. And it goes to my, <laughs> right, the right. bank that has my mortgage and all that shit, you know. Um, I feel, yeah. But, I kind of feel like he's telling the, that other person that he's with, like, look around. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You have go. now. That's, that's where it is. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I was, I was thinking maybe that he's really... My feeling is that, uh, and, and we have nothing in the poem, I think, to tell us this, but my feeling is that he doesn't really have anything to show for it. Yeah, that's the feeling that I got, too. Yeah. Like, you know, right. uh, yeah, yeah. I, I got money for it, but, you know, I spent it. Yeah. You know, where, however you part with money, yeah. I don't have it now. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, that's a, that's an impression that I got, too. Um I uh, yeah, you were going to say something? Well, I, I was just going to say, too, it, I think um, one of the, you know, Ke Kevin had kind of mentioned that um, music often features or uh, prominently in, in Donahue's work. Oh, and um, yeah, and I, like, I like, himself. yeah, yeah. I, I, li I like that he talks about um, the siren sound tuning down a yeah. fifth. Yeah. Because I just, I can hear that, bah, 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 yeah. bah. you know, I can imagine some kind yeah. of pattern like that. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I also think it's interesting, like, there's a lot that we know about um, sound and song and, and music, um, just like in the poem, like, in impacting memory, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, I just think it's interesting that um, the, often, what I kind of see happening is, like, even if, um, you know, the poem's called The Drop, even if that was sort of the story, the traditional narrative of that trip, especially after the fact, especially through dream, I think um, oftentimes the details that like essentially would give that experience meaning to us, mm -hmm. like, you know, can't actually be revealed until later. And so wow. it's not really the, um, I just find it interesting that it's not the drop that he remembers and it's not necessarily, yeah. Yeah. again, maybe that's implying more of a, a suppression thing, but I think it's yeah. interesting that like he's left with, right. He's left with the dog, um, and the blackbirds and, and Corazon, you know, yeah. and, and these are the things. And I think that lead lends some credence to, um, what what this is actually about may be something that's again at the edges or or just beyond sort of the knowledge of the poem, you know, mm -hmm. beyond the knowledge of the speaker, maybe. So, I, I mean, yeah. I let me float this idea out there. So, I mean, obviously, there's some kind of intimacy between the speaker and the you of the poem, right? Mm -hmm. um, this idea that whoever this person is that he or she might have asked about this, that this is something that he might have revealed to her mm -hmm. or, or to him, right? I guess I'm playing my hand there that I'm thinking that to her, right? Mm -hmm. I, I guess I started to think that it was someone that he was intimate with, like that he was involved with, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's a safe assumption. I mean, in so much poem, poems, the, the you of the poem is some kind of beloved romantic yeah. interest, right? Um, and there's some implied in intimacy there. Um, but, like, what happened to make him think now of this incident, right? And of this incident that he really, what he focuses on is this kind of, again, not the drop itself, but, like, this sort of weird interlude where... Mm -hmm. They arrived at nothing. Like I, I almost wondered. Like, are we supposed to read this as a kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, like a breakup poem? 
No. Right? Is this a sort of like things have gone sour with this relationship and he's kind of thinking back and like, okay, just like in this journey, it seems like they traveled to nothing, to emptiness, to waste. And, and what comes out of it? Like, yeah, he gets the money, but where did the money go? It's gone now. It's like, it's, it's so ephemeral, ephemeral. Um, it, it's like this big trip without a lot of payoff. And I mean, like, I... I'm, sounds like love, kinda, baby. Yeah, it sounds like a, a kind of relationship where here we are. We, maybe we were together for years. We came all this way. And what did we come towards? A whole lot of nothing, right? right. And what will we have to take from it? Nothing, right? Right. Um, yeah, and he's like, this was, you know, this was years ago. Years before yeah. I met you. Yeah. Right? But for some reason, whatever's happening to him now has caused him to go back to that moment. Yeah. So I like, I mean, yeah, that that's kind of the, you know, because I was trying to connect, you know. Right. What does the speaker have? Like, why tell this story to why this tell person? It? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's a really good reading of it. I, I think that uh, definitely the memory the memory is very deeply connected to the present for the uh -huh. speaker. And, and, and there, you know, it's, it's, it is saying something about the present moment in which he's speaking. Uh, uh -huh. and so, yeah. And, and I, yeah, that's, man, that's great. I mean, cause there's nothing explicit in the poem telling us that, but I, I think that, um, uh, that it, it definitely does support that reading. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of just like implied. And again, um, Maybe that would explain, like, the motif of the, uh, you know, uh, uh, corazon. mi corazon, yeah. right? The heart, yeah. right? I, I don't know. Just, yeah. just the thought. Um, and actually, it's interesting that, you like, you know, so the way you, uh, Bauerlein describes tuning down a fifth, which is something that I was a, a phrase that was mysterious to me, mm -hmm. right? No, I had and to think actually, about it too. I had to really think about it. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, and I was trying to. What I originally thought of, and I, I was thinking, it sounds like a music, like, like it sounds like a musical thing, tuning and a fifth, mm -hmm. right? But my original thought was that you know, trouble outside. He hears the siren. He, he, he's. It wakes him, right? Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. picturing him like in a drunken stupor, yeah. and hearing the siren outside, right? Yeah, so it's and like a fifth tuning of, down uh... a fifth, like I was pounding down a fifth of whatever, <laughs> right? I don't, but I, you know, maybe that's not, yeah. I but because I was kind of puzzled by that. So, so one Luke hears music, the other hears uh, alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> um. um yeah, 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 and I mean, you know, if he if it were if he was tuning down a fifth of gin or whatever, <laughs> I think that's my you know, new phrase for troubles away you know, or what? Yeah, what's he that? might be he might be tuning it up before too long, <laughs> right? Yeah, 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 yeah. pounding it that hard, but <laughs> anyway, yeah. Oh, well, hey, I mean, I don't know if that would be an expression tuning down a bottle. I've never well, heard that. I was going to no, say that's going to become my my expression now for. <laughs> Dude, I drunk. just tuned down like two beers. <laughs> right, that's about all I can handle these days. Yeah, yeah, two beers. Out. Yeah, just tune them down. Tune them down. <laughs> well, hey, do we want to back up a little bit uh, because we? Uh, I, I forgot to really kind of talk about uh, really much about the poet. Um, yeah, you know, because we before we kind of uh, you know hopped on the air here, so to speak. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit about you know well. Stromberg, you gave a really great thumbnail biography. Do you want to just kind of run down some of the facts for us to give us some context about his work? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's sort of interesting about uh, Donahue is that uh, he 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 like kind of belongs to like different camps, right? Mm -hmm. um, so he he was he's Irish. He's Irish American. He was born to Irish parents that, you know, they, they, uh, they came here from Ireland. They were living in the Bronx when he was born, and he was born in the Bronx. And he was raised in um, kind of a rough neighborhood, I mean, in the Bronx. 
predominantly Puerto Rican neighborhood, right? But like a kind of a very like an inner city, like around a lot of crime and street violence. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's we could kind of see how it might be informed here. Uh, and then uh, eventually, uh, you know, he followed his wife, who was a uh, musician, uh, to the UK. And when he really broke out as a poet, it was in England. It was in the UK. Mm-hmm. It was in yeah. London, right? So he's kind of like an Irish poet that was born in America and raised in America and kind of, you know, started off in the American poetry scene. And then he's in the UK poetry scene. And he was kind of like, uh, they're like, they're kind of expert on American poetry. So, you know, uh, it would explain the American scene to people in the UK, but like, yeah, so there's that too. Um, and there's also a, uh, there's a Chicago connection with him as well. He was, um, I believe at the university of Chicago. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. Uh, encountered um, literary theory, um, and I think that that's what that's one of the factors that scared him away from academia. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame him. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, I've and, yeah, we've all had to dabble with that from time to time. Uh, yeah, and so he was also like a, a kind of um, a, a big champion of formal poetry, or like right. the. The, the tradition in poetry, like keeping the older traditions alive of, of meter, of mm-hmm. rhyme, and received forms, yeah. right? And that's, I mean, I think his introduction to the American reading public was at Westchester, the Westchester Poetry Conference that yep. we've all been involved in, right? Yep. It was a little before my time, but um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's interesting that this particular poem, The Drop, Though he is such a uh, proponent of uh, of form, uh, this poem to me and uh, like I kind of see it, it's a free verse poem. Yeah, well, uh, and a, yeah, a lot yeah. of his poems are free verse. A lot yeah. of or free verse are very loose form. But yeah, right. I mean, do you want to say something about that, Kevin? Well, yeah, the uh, I I don't know if you I sent a link um, uh, when and I'll I'll include this link on the uh, on the blog for the podcast of uh, there was this magazine Magma which I believe is a was a UK magazine I don't know if they're still around that's how clueless I am about who's you know what's being published these days but anyway um, they had a, a an interview with uh, Donna he about this poem and he based it very uh, closely on the Journey of the Magi by T S Eliot. Oh wow! Now that's really interesting. Yeah, and I, and I'm, well now I'm sorry. We're we're like half an hour into our conversation. I'm sorry. I'm just bringing it up now, but like well, I, that, I mean, that was definitely I, something that like colored my reading of yeah. it recently. Oh, yeah, sure. but, not, but not the content <laughs> I mean, though. But not really the content. Like I think that's important. Right. Like for like he takes the form and the moves yeah. of Eliot's poem, but then the content wise, that like he even says on that in that piece that Kevin shared that um, yeah. don't he would caution people against reading too much into the influences yeah um but i but i think i mean i think especially what luke was it was hard for me not to think of uh of that when luke was sort of talking about um like a kind of spiritual journey that's happening in the yeah, poem yeah yeah because the journey of the magi um it's about like the three wise men basically yeah. right yeah and yeah. uh and it's sort of their journey like like these people uh in in the poem the uh the speaker and the the, the, his companions are traveling across like this strange country and hostile maybe environment. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing that's kind of happening with the Magi, right? And then what are they traveling towards? Like their obsolescence, yeah. right? Right. I mean, right. yeah. I mean, like, I, I, you know, I'm just going from my memory of that poem, but that's really what it's about, isn't it? Yeah, 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 that's the, that's what they come to. That's sort of the conclusion they come to. And um, I shall be happy sort of, of another death. I think. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah. But like the um, just also the idea that like you kind of find out. Now I, I actually think it's it's a little subtler in um, in the Eliot poem, but like there it seems like he's there's another person he's addressing it to mm-hmm, by the end. Mm-hmm. The you that it, that's called up, and so but that's something that a move that happens towards the end, like in. Uh, Donahue's right where we he, there's sort of this reveal and, and an increase in intimacy and direct address at the end. Uh-huh. Um, I also think he um, he also throws the dream aspect into it too. So there's this, even this more kind of like contemporary distancing, um, like another layer, right? That we could sort of read 
this narrative that we're getting through, right? Like how much, I'm not even saying that we need to treat it as an unreliable narrator, but certainly the fact that um, it's just, you know, that, that it, what we're really getting is a story about the dream version of this thing that happened, you know, that was triggered by a siren going off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, he says, I remember, I think I remember. Right. Uh, you know, he, oh, he's yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, I think that any, any invocation of memory uh, should be hedged uh, or, What's the word I'm looking for? You know, you should definitely, you know, call to mind the fact that memory is incredibly uh, faulty. I mean, it's just, it's essentially, you know, a dream of what happened anyway. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making yeah. any sense Right, here. right. I, no. Yeah, I, I think that that um, unreliability of memory, too, is a theme that comes up in Donahue. I can think of at mm -hmm. least one other poem of his that deals with that. Um the classics. Oh, do you know that phone? Let's see, I'm, I'm looking through his uh, collected right now. Do you remember which? Yeah, so, uh, so it's about like uh, um, trying to. I, I could look for the poem in the in the book too, but it's about like he describes the scene where this guy's like playing the accordion and he looks like he's like passed out, mm -hmm. and his brother like wakes him up and is like, "Hey, you know." Uh, uh, you know, we better leave. Or like, our, we're gonna miss our train or something like that. Mm -hmm. And like, it's like he wakes up. It's so it was like he was asleep. He's playing the accordion, but it was like he was sleeping. And he talks about how like he wakes up and he's like, oh yeah, oh shit, right? <laughs> so what was playing the music while he was sleeping, right? And then you know, uh, he says something like, uh, like I, I, I remember this scene. He's like, or I think I was there. I'm not sure. Maybe someone just told it to me, right? But it's that whole thing about memory. Let me see if I could find the poem. Uh, yeah, well, I have it pulled up. Do you want me to, want me to read it? It's a short one. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Why don't you read it? Yeah, because, I, I mean, as much Donahue as we can fit into this, I think we should. Right, right, right. His own words. The classics. I remember it like it was last night. Chicago. The back room of Flanagan's. Malignant with accordions and cigarettes. Joe Cooley bent above his... Paolo Soprani, its asthmatic bellows pumping as if to revive the half-corpse strapped about it. It's 5 a.m. Everyone's packed up. His brother Seamus grabs Joe's elbow mid-arpeggio. Wake up, man! We have to catch a train! His eyelids fluttering, opening. The astonishment. I saw this happen. Or heard it told so well, I've staged the whole drunk memory. What does it matter now? It's ancient history. Who can name them? Where lie their bones and armor? Yeah. Ugh, it's fucking great. Yeah, that's such an awesome poem. There's a, and there's a moment I just want to highlight here. He says, his brother Seamus grabs Joe's elbow mid-arpeggio. Uh-huh. Donahue loves to use the modifier mid um, oh, how about that? Yeah, yeah I, I can't remember a lot of my favorite poems of his. Um, <laughs> you know, there, something is ha always happening in the midst of, of something else. You know, it's uh, it's really incredible, and and I think we can kind of tie that back to um, the drop too. I, I think that, that that whole interlude that's this is all you know a suspended moment in time uh -huh. uh, that he really he focuses on. Um, yeah. So yeah. And but also this memory of did this happen? Can I trust my memory? Was right. this something that actually happened, <laughs> or was it something that I dreamed and feel like it happened, or right. was it something I heard from somebody else and now looking back, it feels like it happened to me? Yeah, like it's this kind of like weird, like the unreliability of memory. Like, can we trust memory? And also this sort of like. I, I don't know, this sort of, like, it, did is this the truth? Am I telling the truth here? Or is <laughs> this all, like, bullshit? It doesn't really matter, you know? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter, yeah. I, I, I think that's, uh, I mean, I, I he's a slippery kind of character. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, I like, yeah. all these poems, of course, are, are written from characters' points of view. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe even most of them. Um, but, uh, but he has that kind of like trickster quality. Uh, what's it? Um, the one poem, uh, 
since I have, I'm flipping through here. The excuse. Okay. You know that poem? I'm sure I know lines from it. <laughs> like, uh, but I, I'm just thinking of the opening. Like that, it kind of highlights this sort of trickster quality that you see in Donahue. Yeah. There, um, there's another the one called uh, Pornography that. Like, where he's really talking deliberately about lying to someone, making someone think that, uh, you know, that he's that he did something and he really didn't. Uh, right, 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 right. Well, the excuse, um, it, uh, it, it's another short poem. Why okay, not? The, yeah, sure. The excuse, please hang up. I try again. My father's sudden death has shocked us all. Even me, and I've just made it up. Like the puncture, the check in the post, or my, re or my realistic cough. As I'm believed, I'm off the hook, but something snags and holds. My people were magicians. Home from school, I, I followed a wire beneath the table to a doorbell. I rang it. My father looked up. Son... When your uncle gets me on the phone, he won't let go. I had to rig up something. Midnight. I pick up and there's no one there. No one. Invoked beyond that drone. But if I had to ring up something, and I do, let my excuse be this, and this is true. I fear for him and grieve him more than any. This most deceiving and deceived of men. Please hang up and try again. I mean, first of all, I, yeah. I, I love how it goes from being like this lighthearted kind of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah, I, I, I love the move there. But yeah, that whole idea, like my father's sudden death has shocked us all. Even me. And I've just made it up. Right. Like that <laughs> right. kind of that yeah. whole thing in this elaborate hoax his father plays with like the, uh, the, the this uh, rigged up doorbell, you know, so he can mm -hmm. be on the phone and fake someone's at the door. There's that kind of playfulness and acknowledging the uh, slipperiness of, of, of uh, you know, that, that what we're getting might not be the, might not entirely be the truth. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and it seems like in, um, in all of these poems too, um, and, and uh, I mean, especially the drop, uh, and I, I, this is probably why I was less, um, inclined to kind of um to offer up a kind of uh comprehensive narrative or not comprehensive narrative but like um a more whatever whatever's going on right outside the edges of of the poem right what the things that we can't quite uh put together is merely because i think um what he's kind of pointing out is that uh memory where, where it's going to get us mostly off track is in putting together a narrative right but where but where, and that's what we should distrust. You know what I mean? And that's what I think he calls attention to when he's talking about uh, openly lying and, and making up parts or, and did I, did I think that? Or, you know, do I remember that correctly? But, but um, he also then shows like, like there's like how memory works and, and why, why it's valuable. I guess these kind of uh, snapshots of moments that come back with lucidity or, and, and are very vivid, right? Yeah. And so like, and that's kind of, I think he's more interested in um, articulating the process of memory and extracting it and how uh -huh. when, when we do that, we create these kind of stories that may or may not be true. Right. But they, they have meaning. It's almost like it, like what's important, right. Isn't necessarily who remembers and yeah, it's all ancient history, but it's what important is that like it happened and you have these, you have that recall, like that process of it is, um, yeah. is why it has meaning. I don't know, but it seems like that's what's suggested to me. Like, you know, even if it yeah. was, even if there's nothing more to the drop than just, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to get this off my chest, you yeah. know, like I'm yeah. it's still compelling. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. And there's just like, as I, I think Kevin mentioned in the beginning of uh, the podcast, I mean, there's just the entertainment value of mm -hmm. his poems. Like well, he's yeah, just yeah. a very, I mean, like his poems are very, um, like he cares about the reader. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. The, right. Like there's, no, like he's trying to entertain us. He's trying yeah. to be interesting. Right? And he, yeah, um, yeah. He, well, you know, and, and of course we, we keep talking about 
all the references to music, he was a musician. He played traditional Irish music. Um, right. Right, right, and uh, yeah. and he uh, did you did you get to see him uh, at Westchester? Hear him perform? I did. I, did I never not. did. It I was never like did. Right before, really. I mean, I was uh, maybe at Westchester at the time, but I, I I wasn't involved at the conference yet. I I got to see the first time I went to Westchester is two thousand three, and I, I guess that was his last year there. Maybe. Um, oh yeah, because I think he died in two thousand. Yeah, it was right before he died. Yeah. I yeah, he died in I think two thousand four, and I don't know if he was. Huh. If he if he made it to the 2004 conference, but I, I know I didn't, but I did see him in, in 03, and it, uh, you know, it changed my life. Um, I, I the reason that my wow. my first collection is all dramatic monologues is mostly because of Donahue, um, and it wasn't just the, it was you know when he got up and he spoke. First of all, he had no paper at all. He recited from memory. Um, yeah. That's and, yeah, and he powerful. and he and he recited very well from memory, and he he acted the parts um, very. I mean, just very well. Um, it, it was like seeing a stage production of a, a play or little bits and pieces of plays. Um, uh huh. It, it was mesmerizing, and, and that's you know, everybody who writes about him writes about like what an incredible. I mean, not even not even a reader of poetry, like a performer of yeah. poetry, of his own poetry, he yeah. was. Yeah. So, I don't know. I hear that. I, I know that in later years, a lot of the readings at Westchester were recorded, and they mm -hmm. used to be up on the website. And I know that we have recordings of a lot of them. I don't know if they were recorded yet in two thousand three. Yeah. And we were actually like looking. Yeah. And now everything's because of Poetry House, all everything was like moved out of and everything. Yeah. And if they are, they might be on VHS tape or something right. like that. I was looking maybe for a video. Yeah. Oh God. Or yeah. a recording as something yeah. of him, which would be amazing because I like, I haven't, I can't find anything online. Have you ever seen anything? I've never seen anything. No, um, there is yeah. a and and I one of these days I'm going to spring for. Um, I, there's some poetry society in in the UK that has um, kind of like a whole album, if you will, of oh. Donahue recordings. And I, I oh wow, yeah, and it's not really that much money, and you can download it. You know. Um, oh well, let's do that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I haven't yet. I'm such a huge fan. Um, yeah, you know, and. Uh, but yeah, but seeing and hearing him, uh, you know, it's, it was just, it was such a, it was such a treat. And, um, you know, he died, I think at the age of 50. Um, yeah, it's tragic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely tragic. And just, yeah. But, uh, but I mean, what he left behind was, uh, was as good as it gets, I think. <laughs> yeah, book, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's a, a phenomenal poet, um, I think Mike Pike, uh, who uh, you know co-founded mm -hmm. the Westchester Poetry Conference, he's the guy who sort of steered me to his poetry. He's like, you should check this guy out. Oh wow! Yeah, and I'm really glad that I did. Well, I'll tell you another uh, Donahue story. When I um, uh, so when I was in Brazil, um, I uh, you know the second year there, we realized like we weren't really. Uh, there was no upward mobility happening and I was in my mid to late twenties. So I was kind of feeling antsy. So we decided to come back to the States. And for some reason I thought, well, if I go into an MFA program, I'll, uh, I'll have some kind of direction in my life. Uh -huh. <laughs> and, uh, little did I know, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I will say, so I, 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 um, I was accepted into uh, Emerson college's, uh, MFA program. Uh, I didn't complete my degree. Um, for reasons that mostly have nothing to do with Emerson, uh, but one of the in one of the first classes, uh, the teacher was talking about you know poets that you know we should all read you know just suggesting poets and one of the poets was Michael Donahue, and when he said that I knew I was in the right place. <laughs> cool. And, uh, you know I, I just it's it's always it's always very heartening to me when um when I hear someone mention Donahue because he's not. Um, uh, he's a bit of a poet's poet, and he really shouldn't be, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. he should be a lot more, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Um, uh, and you know, hopefully, his his reputation will, will continue to grow. 
I mean, and he, I, he might be, uh, his reputation's probably better in the UK than it is here. Oh, that's true. Like, I, I don't think his books were originally published yeah, come in the US. It. Yeah, right? like, yeah, like I have like the, his, I'm sorry. Yeah. Ahead. Like the one I have, I, I I think I ordered it from the UK. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, mine's printed in the UK. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I, I don't do think it. there's an American edition of his poems, it, which is crazy. Yeah, well, and but not not hard to believe though, yeah. given right. American, no, of uh, course, of course, poetry audiences. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it it strikes me that um, so, you know, maybe some of the qualities that we're talking about as as being cinematic, um, are are really just come from him come from him wanting to um. Think, thinking about an audience and mm -hmm. and some of the other oh, uh, sure. techniques, right? That that writers all have at our at their disposal, but sometimes poets, oftentimes really in contemporary poetry, that will ignore altogether. Yeah. You know, outside yeah. of sort of the the formal stuff we often talk about, but just like perspective, you know, yeah. and what that does. Just thinking about how the perspective changes and um, how he reveals right the truth about where this story is actually coming from as it progresses is fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and does change and does change the meaning and changes kind of how we how we perceive it. But it's a sh it's a shame that more um, people aren't using everything at their disposal. You yeah, know? yeah, he does. Yeah, and, and you, he yeah. yeah he was very concerned with um, poetry, American poetry, going in that direction away mm. from you know a general readership. Yeah, like into more like an academic kind of exercise, like. You know, like he didn't want poetry to be too academic, mm -hmm. right? And to, and this kind of retreat into the avant-garde, he was concerned about that. And so he was concerned with like bringing poetry back to like, uh, you know, like regular people. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're like, I, think in some, I wouldn't even call them circles, but there's certainly some philosophies where like the idea of like a poem having a hook or like drawing yeah. it drawing you in, you know, it's just not even a consideration. Right. And I think right. it's refreshing, it's refreshing, right, to see somebody who's does all the other things, too, with language that um, often draw me to poems, but then has this just other level that he's working on. It's yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, and we talk about how he, he wasn't entirely anti-academic. I mean, there are a lot no, of no, sort no, of no, English no. major jokes in his, in his poems. Oh, definitely. Are, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he's but, a very learned like you know, oh, yeah. he's a very educated guy. Like yeah. obviously, you read his poems, and it's very clear, yeah. right? But in um, like in a in a way that's not totally forbidding, right? 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 You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he wears it lightly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, we could talk about Donahue for. I, I could talk about him for days. I start repeating myself pretty quickly, though. Uh, but um, I, uh, you know, we're going to do something a little bit differently tonight. I, I'd like to, you know, we want to get as many of Donahue's poems out there into people's ears uh, as we can. So I think we're going to end today's podcast with uh, another Donahue poem. This is a personal favorite of mine. It's one that I've uh, been living with for uh, well since I heard him, you know, perform it in two thousand three. It's called Reprimands, and it begins with a reference. It just, it's a Bible verse. It doesn't quote the verse at all. Uh, it just gives you the, the book and the chapter and verses. So, Reprimands, John 20, 24 through 29. We fell out of love as toddlers fall, glancing down, distracted at their feet. As the pianist in the concert hall betrays her hands to thought and adds an extra beat. The thought vertiginous. The reprimand. It fells the bee mid-flight. It made me stall before a holy water font in Rome, half afraid that if I dipped my hand, I'd find the water's surface hard as stone, and this you'd never understand, half afraid to leave the thing alone. For I'd been taught that Jesus walked the sea, and came to Peter three leagues out of port. Said Peter, Bid me to come unto thee, and strode on faith dryfoot until he thought, and thinking, sank. I'd never learnt to swim, but I'd seen insects skim across a pond, and I'd seen glasses filled above the brim. Some firm conviction keeps a raindrop round. What kept me rigid as a mannequin? We fell out of love and nearly drowned. 
The very wordlessness all lovers want to feel beneath their feet like solid ground dissolved to silences no human shout could ripple. Like the surface of that font when other voices, tourist and devout, grew still. And someone whispered by my side, O oh, ye of little faith and shallow doubt, choose here to wet that hand or stand aside. No one was there. But I could tell that tone. I heard his ancient apostolic voice this evening when I went to lift the phone to tell you this and froze. The reprimand. For once in two minds, Thomas made the choice to bless and wet with blood his faithless hand. Well, that's about all we have this time for Works Cited. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. For more information about the poem that we discussed and just about the podcast in general, please visit our website at workscitedpodcast.com. And here to play us out yet again is Philadelphia's own The Late Greats. Got a brother dear, he's my transistor, had to live with the fear. Now I don't even miss her Cause it's still the same No matter what they say Now the boundary lines They just get in the way Oh yeah Close to me, I'll put you up on a pedestal.